This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 94, with the young super connector, Jared Kleiner. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. And if you haven't heard yet, I am going to be changing the name of Shop Talk Radio to Neon Radio, N-I-O-N Radio, which is the name of my new brand that I am starting. And Neon is about living life in color, and it's about the creative lifestyle and optimizing it and sharing your gift of art to the world. So... We will be making the switch at the 100th episode of Shop Talk Radio, and I'm very excited. I, I can't believe it's been two years, 100 episodes, and still going strong. Thanks to you guys uh, for listening and sharing and getting the word out there. And this podcast is all about you and to help you take your creativity, business, and life to the next level and create greatness in all aspects of the journey. Neon is about choosing to create your life from every moment. It's about living a life of color and sharing that with the world and those around you. Now, let's jump into today's guest. His name is Jared Kleinert, and he's the youngest guest I've had on the show, and he is a very impressive kid. He has done a TED Talk already, and he's uh, 20 years old. He has a book that was just published called Two Billion Under 20. He's been featured on Forbes, TED, Fast Company, Huffington Post, Business Insider, and many more. He is on a trek to find the young superstars of this world and pull them in to give them the spotlight. This episode, we talk a lot about connection, building value and relationships. We talk about Jared's TED Talk and how you can use technology to further what you're doing, build platform, and how we're lucky to be able to have that now and to be able to have those tools. We talk about his path of how he's been able to connect to people like Eben Pagan and Neil Strauss at such a young age and build his network and his relationships. And he's very good at it. He's very good at adding value to other people and connecting other people. He's become the super connector that he has aspired to be, and he's only getting better at it. So we learned a lot of his tactics and philosophies on how to build those relationships, how to become a super connector, and how to connect with super connectors. Sure, you've heard it said that your net worth is your network. So I believe that you will find this episode very helpful and inspiring and you'll get a lot out of it to help your relationships stir and grow. So with that, I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Jared Kleinert. Everybody takes the easy way out, you know what I'm saying? If it's something they have to think about, they don't ever really give it a chance. And it's unfortunate. What is up everyone? Welcome to Shop Talk Radio today. I have the youngest interviewee to date. His name is Jared Kleinert. I'm not a dog, but Thanks. <laughs> Thanks and, for having me. <laughs> and how old are you? I'm 20. Not that it matters. And yeah, you know, I'll be 21 later this year. 20 years old. He's done a book called Two Billion Under 20. Yeah. And he's done a TED Talk. I have. 
So the man is on his way to big, big things. Not that he's not doing them already. So Jared, let's just jump in a little bit. You're 20 years old and you've done a TED talk and how, like, what's your story? How did you get to this point in your life so far? Sure. So I think there were three people that had a huge impact on my life when I was about, or between 15 and 16. And one was, believe it or not, a former white collar convict. The wow. S- <laughs> the second one was a guy who had been dead for decades. And the third was someone I read about in Forbes. And so let, I'll go back to the, the first one, but that's a nice way to open this episode, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot of like drama and suspense about where this story is going to go. <laughs> and who's this white collar criminal? Yeah. I don't actually share this in a lot of interviews because I don't know how my mom feels about this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not that I'm like crazy public yet, but hopefully the personal brand will keep growing. But when I was 15, I started my first business and I come from an entrepreneurial family, but mm. my parents weren't financially incredibly successful themselves. I had entrepreneurs in my family who had started eight and nine figure businesses and ranging from construction to tech and kind of saw what financial success looked like, wasn't entitled to any of it, mm-hmm. um, which was great. It was a great uh, mixture of things because I wanted to have financial success, but I also didn't want to do the things that some of my family members did. Mm-hmm. Like they were really stressed out or they weren't doing so well in the personal relationship department or they didn't have hundred percent of their health. So I was like, okay, I can get financial success. Then let me get the rest of this success stuff that they, <laughs> that they missed out on. But anyways, started my first business at 15. The business doesn't matter as much because it failed miserably. And I made every single uh, business mistake you can think of. But the biggest one that I made was poor mentor selection. Mm. And the guy helping me at the time was my mom's then boyfriend. And if you Googled this guy, the first thing you would have seen is his mugshot. (laughs) (laughs) But I went probably six to nine months getting his counsel and getting his advice on how to grow this startup. Despite the fact that I found out along the way that he didn't know much about startups or tech or education because I was doing an ed tech startup And then one day he told me that he had been in prison for securities fraud on Wall Street. (laughs) Oh, boy. And quickly I realized that if I wanted to do big things in this world, that I needed to associate myself with good people. With He had good, seemingly good intentions, but I needed to surround myself with people who had great intentions, great track record, and a lot of skill sets. So Mm -hmm. quickly put that aside uh, and and didn't talk to him. And then my (laughs) my mom left him, which is great. I haven't seen him since, <laughs> but he did do one thing for me, which is he gave me an audiobook called Three Feet from Gold, which led to me listening to an audiobook from Napoleon Hill because mm. Three Feet from Gold was from this guy, Greg Reed, who's a good friend of mine and a great speaker, actually, on California. But Greg represents the Napoleon Hill Foundation mm. and everyone knows Napoleon Hill, hopefully. But Napoleon Hill wrote a book in the 1920s called The Law of Success, which is the second audiobook I listened to that this guy had given me. And that book became Think and Grow Rich later on. Mm-hmm. They, they took the 1,200 pages from The Law of Success and brought it to 200 for Think and Grow Rich. But The Law of Success really shaped how I look at business and some of the, the fundamentals mm-hmm that don't change over time. So doing more work than paid for or developing a pleasing personality so you can get along with anyone or thinking 
objectively about things and not letting other people come into your mind space and shoot you down or mm. not making thoughts and opinions without being informed and having all parts of the story. Cause these are like things that people do all the time that sh- they shoot themselves in the foot. Mm. So white collar convict <laughs> Napoleon <laughs> Hill shaped uh, my life a good amount. And it's still my favorite book to this day. Uh, and then when I was 16, I, by that time I'd started reading Forbes and business, you know, insider and fast company and just kind of, trying to brainwash myself into this business world because that's not what my day-to-day reality was. I was in high school and had the normal high school thing. Read this article in computer science class, the computer science class that I ended up barely passing with some tweaking with the teacher (laughs) on the side. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But read this article in Forbes called The Most Connected Man You Don't Know in Silicon Valley. It was about this guy, David Hassel. And David was the mm. was and still is the founder of a company called Fifteen Five. The article itself didn't mention the company because it was still in stealth mood. Woohoo! But <laughs> he ran these dinner parties where he had everyone from Tim Ferriss to Warren Buffett's former pilot to a professional female soccer player and just this whole gambit of people. And there was testimony after testimonial about people he had helped along the way, and not regular people like major entrepreneurs who he had helped and really made connections that changed their lives. So I was like, that's the guy I want to be. You know, I want to have that skill set because I saw the complete opposite of the person I wanted as a mentor. And now sitting in front of me on this computer screen is the person I really want to emulate and mm. want to learn from. So I reach out via LinkedIn with the world's most cocky, And poorly spelled message. (laughs) And I also messaged Sean Parker the same day for some reason, like from Plaxo and and (laughs) Facebook fame. Thankfully, David responded three months later and we chatted a few times. I offered to work unpaid in exchange for his mentorship. Mm -hmm. Ended up spending a year working for 15.5 unpaid, then got on payroll, worked for another year. Uh, he had sent me to another company called Learnist, where I, lear- I worked unpaid for three months. So 16, I had two internships with VC-backed companies in Silicon Valley. I was working on my second startup, which also failed miserably and never even got off the ground. And that's kind of how I got started. And that's where my real education came from. Mm. It wasn't high school. I ended up not going to college at all. I, I took two gap years and almost wrote an entire book on gap years as my second book, but decided not to (laughs) despite the fact that it's becoming more and more important. And I'm probably going to share that research publicly for free anyways. At some point I just got to make some time to write it all down. But yeah, yeah, those, those were like the three people dead or alive (laughs) (laughs) that really shaped the way I viewed things early on. And I can now trace, you know, my, 80% 80% of my network back to David. Like I can mm. trace how I know you back to David. Wow. Yeah. So Craig introduced us, Craig Clemens, right? We went to yep. his dinner party. I met Craig via Neil Strauss and Neil Strauss. I met via Evan Pagan. And Evan Pagan is a friend to David. Right. And so David had brought me to one of Evan's events and like, then everything else happened. It's crazy. You've introduced me to people. So I could still trace like 80% of my network back to David. <laughs> and and more importantly than the introductions he made was what he taught me about relationship building, networking, seeing a company grow from the inside that's still around and doing well and, and growing in a way that's not 
normal in Silicon Valley. Like mm-hmm. they're they're actually trying to go a real actual company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all those things are really formative. Yeah. That's awesome. Great story. Great story. Yeah, end of first rant. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to jump back and unpack a couple of things here. The first thing I want to unpack is you, you talked about people shooting themselves in the foot through kind of their outlook on life, the mental game. And I kind of want to like hear a little bit, like I want you to expand kind of that whole idea and what you learned from that time. I'm still learning. That's, that's <laughs> the thing about being 20 years old is that I, as much as I like to think I know a decent amount, I'm learning every single day. And, and the best thing I do now is I've surrounded myself with peer mentors, world-class older mentors. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everyone in my life is of a certain caliber so they're forcing me to step up my game, whether I like it or not. Absolutely. Which absolutely. is actually a great strategy because we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot our entire lives, whether we want to or not. But if you surround yourself with really good people and a really good ethos, then every time you think of shooting yourself in the foot, literally <laughs> or metaphorically, or you know, every time you actually do it, you're going to be pressured in a positive way to get out of that. Yeah. But I... Early on, you know, I think we are not conscious about a lot of our major life decisions, and I am trying very hard to be very conscious about my life decisions. Uh, the first major decision that I see a lot of people making that really screws them up, and it's not necessarily their faults, but it's societally, is college. Mm-hmm. And most people just don't think very hard about where they want to spend an average of $130,000 in five years of their life at 18 years old and they shouldn't, no one should be expected to, Mm -hmm. but most people don't think consciously about that. And then the the parents, the grandparents don't think consciously about what that's going to do to their children at in in 2016 or the last maybe five years Mm -hmm. because they're still programmed from what was college like in 2000 or 1980, right, right, right. 1960, whatever. And I don't think we think consciously about that. I don't think, Many people think too consciously about their relationships they surround themselves with personally or professionally. You, know, they, they, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, which I actually think is now like the average of the five people you spend the most time with and the 500 you spend the most time with online. That, <laughs> that builds your Facebook feed and, and everything that else that feeds you information. Ooh, that's a, that's a very interesting concept. Right? Because most, most of the opportunities I get come from my, like my Facebook feed or all the articles I read come really? from my Facebook feed. Yeah. Also. I have really cool friends. So they're like, oh, does anyone want to come speak at this event? Or, hey, you should read this book. Or here's my worldview on politics. And I'll be mm. like, that's a, that's a decent view. <laughs> I like that. I like Anyways, that. going back to it, I just, I preach a lot of consciousness. And that this was going to be the main focal point of the book I never wrote mm. about gap years, which is let's just have a lot of consciousness throughout our lives. Yeah. Whether it's college, career, who you surround yourself with, your health. And that, that would be the biggest thing I would ask anyone to take away from this is just yeah. be more conscious about your daily decisions. Mm. And I, I'm still working on it myself, too. Like, I know that health is something I really want to work on. Mm. I've done a decent job of it. I used to be 230 pounds. And wow. uh, for those of you who can't see me sitting down, I'm, <laughs> I'm now 6'2", uh, about 210. But I went from 230 to 193 in one year. So I lost 37 pounds. Wow. That's insane. On, on the slow carb diet from Tim Ferriss and a couple other, goal, <laughs> a couple other goal hacks, but I've, I've since crept up. You know, I, I'm normally in like a 195 to 199 range. So I've gained 10 pounds and I'm yeah. at least I'm conscious of the fact that 
I need to lose 10 pounds and like that I want to. Yeah. I'm super conscious about who I spend time with mm-hmm. on every level. So yeah, biggest takeaway from this, if you shut off the podcast now, which you shouldn't, is just <laughs> be conscious about as many things as possible because most people aren't and that's easily a huge leverage point. Yeah. I guess this is another thing that I think listeners and I'm, and something I've talked about too is, is what is consciousness? You know, in, in your, in your world, how did you even get, come to the conclusion or the idea of being conscious about the decisions that you're making? Mm-hmm. The people who helped me have this worldview and be conscious of my thought of consciousness mm-hmm. <laughs> were the people I hung out with in my teens. So from 15 on, or really from that white collar convict incident and onwards, uh, I've surrounded myself and spent a majority of my time with people in their twenties, thirties, forties, early fifties. And they're the ones who educated me. You know, they're the ones who showed me all different types of worldviews, all different types of tactics and strategies about Mm. how to live their life. And then I become this unique mixture of what I agree with, what I disagree with, what is relevant at this point in time to me, what will stay in the back of my head until it's relevant in the future. And that is a really unique mix that I have uh, Mm -hmm. in part because I've spent so much time hanging out with people a lot older than me, a lot different than me. Uh, That's now the whole basis of my career is to Mm. identify top performing people of my generation and start bringing them together. Yeah. Uh, Not only because that's, how I think we're going to solve existential crisis level problems in the world yeah. by bringing together top performing minds. But it also is a, a selfish thing because they're educating me in the process. Yeah. And that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes me this unique you, this unique person that mm-hmm. no one can replicate. And when I'm thinking about strategy or I'm thinking about consciousness or how to grow my business or whatever I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. I have these disparate ideas, these disparate people to look to that shape how I do things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's even why a reason I love this podcast is to be able to interview interesting people that I find. Yeah. You're selfish as fuck. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like taking up time from like people you want to learn from and then you're hitting records. So you can grow your personal brand at the same time. Oh yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love the, <laughs> I do love the aspect that I can actually get to share this with other people and, and help their lives. I think that's, yeah, that's part of, and, and you could probably jump into this too, in terms of, of um, sharing value with other people and maybe that can back up into how do you, you know, network for lack of a better word. Cause I think we all hate that word sure. at this point yeah. in, our, in, our, in our lives and our careers. And you know, how do you connect with people? What's like, what would be if you were to give advice on how to connect with people in the right way? Um, Cause you're very successful at it. You know, a lot of really amazing, talented people and how have you been able to connect with them? I think it starts with prov- trying to provide value up front and then we can maybe run into the rest of it. But I'll bring you actually up to speed about how my career has grown because I've enacted that principle and mm. I call it doing more work than paid for from Napoleon Hill era days, but it's pr- providing value up front mm-hmm. and things like 16 working unpaid for a year in order to get access to David's network and learn how he does things and how he builds relationships, like real authentic relationships, not just ones that 
you know, look good on your, your LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I learned from doing work on paid. And, and if I asked for payment at 16, I would have never gotten anything. Yeah. But looked more about what, what I could do to help 15.5, what I could do to help David and provided value up front. Mm-hmm. Later, when I was 18, I wanted to start a marketing and business development consulting firm because I wanted to pay the bills while I was working on my first book. And I'll go back in a second, but I reached out to Keith Ferrazzi because partly because I wanted to continue going down the rabbit hole of how do I become a world-class connector. Mm. Uh, and Keith Ferrazzi wrote the book on professional relationship building. Absolutely. Um, Never eat alone. And so I provided value up front. I didn't say, Hey, pay me, you know, this really high monthly retainer. You have a, you have a book coming out, like never eat alone, expanded and updated. Let me help you market it for free. And so I spent a month just, pushing out his book. Let me get him on every single podcast. Let me get him covered in the press. Let me do whatever I can to make him successful. And partly this is because I was young and my offering to people wasn't as strong as it is now. And my offering today won't be as strong as when I'm 25 or 30 or 50. Mm-hmm. But I, I look to provide value up front and this could be free work. It could be other things. And that is easily the way, you know, the biggest way that I can gain leverage in meeting new people. Because mm-hmm. it just makes sense, you know, from a from a human level standpoint, we're always like, what's in it for me? Well, if you just answer that question for people when you're meeting yeah. them, then they're like, fuck, yeah, like, <laughs> let's hang out. Let's work together. Let's. Yeah, you know, sure. I'll take you helping me promote your book. And then you know, once you're in that position, do a great job. And that's how I landed. Keith Frazzi is my first ever client. Mm. So back when, when I was 17 and I started two billion under 20 in that whole process, I looked at how can I provide value to who got involved. So when I brought on my co-author for the book, who uh, is a Teal fellow and you know entrepreneur in Silicon Valley that raised uh, over a million dollars from Richard Branson when she was 18, I was like, join me in this process. You'll get access to this really sick network of you know world-class people 20 and under, and your personal, ground, personal brand will grow in the process. Yeah. And I don't think I worded it like that, but I think it was clear that that was the value she was going to get. Mm-hmm even though she put in a lot of hard work for sure and two billion under 20 wouldn't be around without her. And then the value prop to everyone in the book was like, look, we're going to be able to share your story with thousands and thousands of people and give you access to everyone else we feature in the book. Mm. So there was value prop for them to get involved. And so we connected this group of world-class millennials, everyone from Olympians to teenage entrepreneurs, singers, actors, scientists, a kid who developed a nuclear fusion reactor in his garage at 17. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, a girl who started Spirit Day, which is GLAD's largest uh, LGBT youth movement every year. Like those caliber people, a girl lost 170 pounds and saved her life. Those were the people we got on board to join 2 billion under 20, in part because we were looking to provide value to everyone. It was yeah. all about them. It wasn't about us. It was it was really about what we could do for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when it came down to deciding the publishing avenue for the first book, we ended up going with a traditional publisher, which as I'm learning now, stunts your money-making abilities Yeah, for most authors, unless you're like a Keith Ferrazzi-level author. Right. But we did it because we wanted to give the credibility stamp to all the contributors. Like, hey, I was in a book that was published by St. Martin's Press. And then we worked our asses off to make sure the book did well, not only for our personal brands, but also for everyone. So now they could say, hey, I was featured in the number one entrepreneurship book of 2015. Things like that. Mm. 
or this best-selling book on Amazon, which one of my new book contributors actually like dispelled that whole notion. <laughs> it's really easy to become an Amazon best-selling author. You can do it with $3 and with five minutes of your time. Interesting. Yeah. They will include in the show notes, but it's uh, this guy, Brent Underwood, who works directly with Ryan Holiday on, on Brass Check. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a article called Be- Behind the Scam. <laughs> <laughs> what does it take to become a best-selling author? Uh, Three dollars in five minutes, and then he dispels the the myth mm-hmm. that is Amazon best-selling authors. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll send it to you after the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can put that in the show notes for but sure. Yeah, every everything really revolves around providing value upfront, and that is the cornerstone of how I built a world-class network in in record time. Because yeah. I went from you know fifteen and a half or sixteen to twenty and built this network from scratch. You know, no no help from family, Incredible. no help from anyone other than the people that I've been connecting with along the way. Yeah, that's incredible, man. So besides working for free, you know, which is I mean, there's this whole balance and I think, you know, that's a great way to do it. So but besides working for free, what are a few other ways that people can add value or offer value to people that they want to connect with? Sure. So Things like this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. you can have a, a project that allows you to provide value to people up front while you're connecting with them. Mm-hmm. So everyone you're bringing on your podcast, you're getting to meet or if you know them already, you're continuing to provide value, plus you're building and strengthening that relationship. So you can do like a, a big project hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can build your own community and instead of doing relationships one by one by one, you can almost semi-automate your relationship building by setting up a community structure, whether that's a, an offline event series or just like a simple Facebook group or whatever mm. you deem as community, you can be the top of the hierarchy on that. And by setting that up and making sure the right people get in there, you're mm. now providing value to anyone who's joining that. Yeah. And that's another huge hack that also saves you a lot of time and it's it builds your network even when you're sleeping because every time there's a neural network connection within that community, mm. everyone's getting value and they're subconsciously thinking about you because you started the whole thing. Gotcha. So that's another hack I great. use. That's great. Um, there's the most simple thing really for me right now is just making connections for people. You know, so I connected you to Virginia because I thought you could you know, benefit from meeting a Snapchat influencer. Yeah, absolutely. Virginia will be my next book. And she benefited a lot from meeting you as, yeah. as we're seeing. Uh, so being the elbow of introductions mm-hmm. is huge. And that's something David taught me. You know, the first barbecue I hung out with him, he was making intros left and right for people. And it wasn't for the, for some places he did double opt-in intros. If there wasn't a lot of trust built up, mm-hmm. uh, which double opt-in for those of you who don't know means making sure both parties want the actual introduction. Right. <laughs> sometimes you have this super, you know, highly established person. Then you have someone who's not and the highly established person wants to help people, but they're busy or they don't necessarily want another connection of that sort. Yeah. Uh, but just making sure both parties want in mm-hmm. um, as you build your network and as people gain trust, you don't have to always do that. Yeah. They'll just trust that you're sending them a good person. But early on, you know, double opt-in intros to make sure you're not, destroying trust and yeah. So make, make intros, you know, just make one-off intros, be the elbow of deals, set up community structures or project structures where you can continuously provide value to people. Uh, there's so many other things. I mean, I cover people, you know, I make content that features people, whether Mm. it's books or whether it's 
I have a millennial to watch newsletter right now that features yeah. one person a day and, and I share it on social media. So that's, that's, that's cool. partly project based, but it's also being their biggest fan online and really looking for the best in people rather than trying to shoot everyone down. Yeah. Yeah. And when you surround yourself with good people, it's really easy. To do. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like easy to, Whoa! Look at that person's skill set. Whoa! Look at that person's passion. It's so cool. I mean, we're in your living room, and I'm—I've been here a couple times. I'm like so appreciative of your artwork because it's insane. <laughs> Thank you. And then just Thank the you. environment you make—you're always playing music and stuff when we're in here. And you had some cool people over at your uh, yeah, Kygo, taco. Kygo on repeat. You know? I go on repeat. <laughs> and, and you do the same thing for everyone else. I mean, you introduced me to a couple of book contributors for my next book, uh, Coco and Breezy specifically. Yeah, and they're fucking awesome. Yeah, and. You know, they, they've gone on to introduce me uh, or they've hosted like a drinks event where I've met people. Mm-hmm. So free work is a good way to start building your career. And I would say that you have the most leverage if you go after super connectors, which is a whole nother conversation piece. Maybe we'll go into it afterwards, mm-hmm. but you can provide value by doing free work or helping them in some way reading an article they're about to publish. You can do a project hack. You can do a community hack, be the elbow of a connection. I'm sure there's, there's a ton of others and I've been putting out content all week about it, but yeah, those are the ones that come to mind right now. Great. Those are, those are great. Sorry to disappoint everyone. <laughs> might not be able to spew more of these on the top of the dome, but no, but I think that's like perfect for, for people to kind of grab, grab a hold of. And if it, you're doing all that, then you're set. I mean, <laughs> I guarantee you that most people listening to this won't do all that. Yeah, but I, you know, and it, that's it will do some of it and it'll help them. Mm-hmm. I hope. And yeah, I hope so. Um, <laughs> you know, but this day and age, I think there, there is a, a need for that because there's just so much chaos and so much stuff going on and, and like digital noise in a certain sense. And you actually know, one, one other thing I want to add is like selling people stuff. If you're doing high quality work actually helps them a lot. Interesting. So like, one of the ways I built my network was when I was working with David at an enterprise software startup. And my last major project with him was building an outbound sales system. So I was the one who had a cold email and all the VPs of big startups or, you know, 51 to 200 person teams or CEOs of smaller startups. And so I've built my network, you know, doing things like that or reaching out on Keith's behalf to press <laughs> Uh, that's one of the biggest hacks I use when I, I have my marketing consulting firm is like, I only work with really high level clients because then my stature grows every time I have a, a kick-ass client. Like I just, ha- I just got off one engagement where I helped this company on Indiegogo go from 85 K when they hired me, their goal was 50 K, but they hit 85 K in a week and wow. they just ended with 360,000. Wow. So that I, we, we more than quadrupled their revenue in, in a month <laughs> and not that it's all directly attributable to me, but he had like a sick product. He knew exactly what he was doing. And so the little tiny tweaks that I could help him with just blew it up yeah. uh, with a lot of his hard work. But now I can attribute it myself and my firm to that. Mm. And I can attribute it myself to Keith Ferrazzi and like the founder of Oggs and all these really high level clients I've been able to work with. Yeah. You know, because just like selling on their behalf was also a huge way to (laughs) like (laughs) provide value to them and meet new people at the same time because press wants to interview them and yeah, fun stuff. Absolutely. And then you meet those guys and yeah. Or if you do great photography work, even if people pay you a lot of money, you're still doing them a lot of service. Absolutely. You're world-class at it. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, and people need it, especially for entrepreneurs these days. I'm working on some, some different packages for entrepreneurs, but, but people need to connect with their audience. And, you know, Lewis, Lewis House has been a big, uh, a, a big example of that. Like his, you know, he's hired me to do his imagery and his brand, brand has grown because of it. And yeah. And make, make no mistake. Like he's providing upfront value by selling his book. Yeah. People are buying it and he's selling them on his book, but he put however many years of his life into that product <laughs> and made it the best thing he could. Absolutely. And it's providing you know, a lot of value to people. So sales is also a way to provide value to people upfront. Yeah. That, no, that's a very interesting uh, And point. marketing to get to the sales. Yeah. No, I like that point because it's, it's not something that we think about all the time and say, I haven't thought about it till now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you learned something about yourself today. <laughs> Let's kind of dive into the, the super connector idea that you were talking about just a second ago. Sure. So we all have this 80, 20 thing, right? We mm-hmm. know that like 20% of our time get us 80% of the results. I've found the, the number one way to build my network and record time is to really focus hard on meeting super connectors. Or those people that are well, well, well connected in their industry and have a lot of trust built mm-hmm. into their network. So people like Craig Clemens, Neil Strauss, Evan Pagan, David, they have a shit ton of social proof with their networks, mm-hmm. right? Like people, they've done the hard work of building real authentic relationships with other people that really matter and other yeah. super connectors, uh, as well as like thousands of people who rely on them or really trust them. And they've done the hard work of going years, if not decades of building their personal brands and building their social statures and their social networks and all that fun stuff. And so as the outsider, this isn't easy, but it's not as hard as you think. The easiest way to build my network in record time is to go be friends with super connectors. Like if I can build one real authentic relationship with someone like David versus a hundred real authentic relationships with people I meet at networking events of a normal kind, not the type of networking events that super connectors host. Yeah. Then I have access to potentially hundreds of people in an industry like because I'm have a relationship with David. I now have access to, if I have a really good reason to require access to it, his investors, his advisors, mm. his fellow entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, all the customers that he has. Yeah. And I would, ne- I would never ask him for intros unless it was something I could provide value to the person he's introducing me to and, yeah. and really require. But because I know one super connector and I just maintain that relationship <laughs> and really it's, it's not a, it is a strategic thing. It is a conscious thing, but it's also not, it's a, it's a real authentic thing. Yeah. Not, manipulative it's it's just being conscious <laughs> right. um but same you know that relationship i value really highly yeah and it has more leverage than other relationships i wouldn't say it's yeah. more important than other relationships because i think everyone's pretty important mm-hmm. uh, that one has more leverage yeah. so i focus most of my time on developing relationships with super connectors yeah. and that's yeah. why i focus in part on top performing millennials so if i know an olympian then i can get to 10 or 20 other Olympians if I really had the need to get to 20 Olympians. Yeah, if I know, absolutely. I know you as a world-class photographer, I can get to some of your former clients or other photographers or other creatives. I mean, just being, here's another hack that comes along with it is you don't even need to ask for intros. 
just like being in the same space as a super connector normally gets you access and introductions to other amazing people. Mm-hmm. So Neil Strauss invited me to dinner. I said, fuck yeah, I'm going to go to dinner in Malibu. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even care if I needed to fly out of the way. Like, <laughs> you know, and by being at the dinner table, everyone else at the dinner table was amazing. You had yeah. two people from Google, uh, one of which I brought and you had Craig and Sarah and Craig and Sarah are super connectors in their own right. And then you had yeah. some TV executive who I didn't build a relationship with, but super connectors surround themselves with really good people. And there's leverage in not only developing a relationship with them to have potential access, but also if you're just in their same space, then you can meet all the other people they attract to themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's, and then you can like hack their social proof because if they're giving you an introduction, you know, people trust that introduction. Mm-hmm. You, you introduce me to Coco and Breezy, they immediately trust me. Absolutely. So I'm leveraging all the hard work you've put <laughs> into building your authentic relationships and making it the cornerstone of my authentic relationship with them. Yeah. And it's it's on me not to screw that up. And it's on me to continue providing value to them and build my own relationships with them. But yeah, it's a very nice place to start at rather than just meeting them at a normal event. Yeah, totally. So I, I spend most of my time building relationships with investing in my relationships with super connectors because of that mm. reason. And it's the cornerstone of why I've built a world-class network. And in, in- yeah, that's incredible. So what have you learned about the balance of being authentic to being opportunistic? Because I noticed this with certain people that I've encountered, you can see, you can feel a sense of opportunism. Um, where that a just, bad thing in your definition? Um, it can be if you feel like they're just using you to get somewhere. Got it. How do you, how do you interact with people and and to the point where you they don't feel like they're being used for something? Uh, give more than you ask. Good one. Yeah. Goes <laughs> <laughs> back to providing value upfront. Yeah. I work for a year for David unpaid before I ask for a salary or ask for monies. Then. I'm in a good position. Yeah. And even if he says no, that's not the end of the world. I won't, I wouldn't get upset at that. I would just continue providing more value and continue investing in that relationship. Yeah. But I, I didn't ask you, I, I think I asked you recently for a pretty like high level introduction, but not super consciously, but I made sure that I was like providing value up front. Like, let me make introductions for you because that's just how I roll. Let me hang out with you, spend some time, you know, be a good person and provide value to your network see you multiple times, like develop rapport before making big asks. Um, small asks are fine too. And there's, I learned this from John Levy. There's this thing called the Benjamin Franklin effect. Oh. If you're actually asking for really tiny favors, you can build rapport with people. So in our interview, he, he gave me $20 before we got on camera for my web show. But he, during, <laughs> during the web show interview, he asked me for $20. And in this Benjamin Franklin effect, doing a favor for someone actually makes you like them more. So I only learned this recently, but providing value up front and asking for smaller introductions or favors, is actually a good way to start building rapport in a relationship. And then over time, as you need bigger and bigger asks, uh, whether it's of introductions or of someone's time or effort, you know, that becomes less hard to handle. Yeah. But don't, you know, I wouldn't get upset with people if things don't happen. I wouldn't, I would never add negative stuff to the table if I can avoid it. Yeah. If I do fuck up, I immediately apologize and yeah. and not only apologize, but I, I try and work to make things better. 
yeah. whether that's just conscious, you know, being more conscious about how I'm interacting with people or whether that's making amends by making more introductions or by giving them some of my time, yeah. try and make it better. So really putting the relationship first rather than the, the requests mm-hmm. and providing value up front as we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Those are the, the biggest things I focus on. Yeah, no, I love that. And something you just mentioned is like not getting upset when somebody says no, you know, and I think that was kind of the, how do you, how do you kind of keep that positive outlook in, in, in an overall grand scheme of things? I'm working on it, but if you really truly value the relationship above the ask, mm-hmm. then if one ask gets shot down, you know, there's more to be had mm-hmm. in the future. Plus you don't even need to make asks to learn from someone. I mean, just by like being a friend to, to you, uh, I learn a lot and yeah. I get a lot of value and I never have to make an ask in my life and I would still benefit from this friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I try and view all these relationships. Yeah. Uh, there's also, even if you're not in contact with a lot of people at once, cause it, once you build your network, it's really hard to maintain all these relationships, but there yeah. is a power of, a fringe network. So if you have to make an ask on social media, which is different than a direct ask to someone, you'd be surprised at who's going to be the one to right, right. proverbially raise their hand on social media by commenting or by sending you a DM and offering that help. Mm-hmm. So there is a power of keeping your fringe network too mm. and focusing on providing value with each interaction, making each interaction with people in your network as positive as possible and as deep as possible you can go to a conference and if you have five or 10 minutes of true conversation with people, that can be the basis for a real relationship. Yeah. Even if you don't talk to them for a year, mm-hmm. but if you're just passing around business cards and throwing in people's faces and, Oh, there's someone more important over your shoulder. I think I'm going to go talk to them. Then you're not developing any sort of rapport or any sort of foundation for a relationship in the future. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely true. And I'm still like, I'm still learning all this. So there's, I, I continuously, things that don't come off as authentic or I I always come off as authentic and I always come off as meaning well but sometimes I say things like everyone that isn't taken the best way or yeah uh, I need to be careful about my posture and how I smile and like all that Um, but I think people also appreciate the fact that I am raw Mm -hmm. in a sense and that is also just developing a pleasing personality shutting up and letting, like letting other people talk is a good way to you know, yeah. show interest. Mm-hmm. This is more nuanced, but when Napoleon Hill was talking about developing a pleasing personality, it's always finding some sort of common ground in a conversation to build a relationship upon. So you come to me and, and we meet, you know, I might start talking about your artwork and then just like shut up and let you tell me about your artwork. One, mm-hmm. cause I'm like genuinely, genuinely curious about why your backpack has red lettering on it and <laughs> looks awesome. And two, uh, I don't know about it. So I'm learning mm-hmm. as you're telling me about it. And three, you're going to walk away from the conversation thinking, wow, he was such a cool guy. Um, but when I'm listening, I'm thinking of all these jump off points to connect back to you or to find some sort of common ground. Yeah. Maybe we have a famous fa- or favorite sports team in co- connection, or maybe we have a connection that is of mutual yeah. respect or a, philosophy that we want to talk about further. You know, there's always a way to build common ground with people. Mm-hmm. And so I always look for that 
moment or that mm. place. Yeah. And I look to listen so I can find out what those are. Yeah. And those are the way you develop a pleasing personality is that you take a genuine interest in people, you listen to them, and then you find a way to connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. One, two, three. One, two, three. Bam. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how I can build a relationship with people of all different shapes, sizes, colors. Yeah. And and industries is I can find common ground with an Olympian just like I can find common ground with a Silicon mm-hmm. Valley entrepreneur and a nonprofit founder and a scientist and an artist. Yeah. And on and on and on. Yeah. There has to be something. <laughs> yeah, there has to be something from human you connection listen, yeah. to people to anything. It's easier too as you add more blotches of color to your life canvas. Ooh, that's a good one. That's that's a good line. I like that. Inspired. <laughs> <laughs> You're inspired. All the art here. You know? <laughs> um, you know, this is another situation. So say, I mean, you've probably been on both sides of this 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 table of being a speaker at an event or going to an event and wanting to meet a speaker. What do you think is the best way to connect with somebody at a space like that. Cause I've, I've spoken before myself and have had people approach me, but I've also wanted to meet people and it's kind of like a, a chaotic situation and you just come off. You're like in this kind of adrenaline rush. So you're in a different space as a speaker. What's the best way f- to connect with that person in like a moment's time? Cause there's like 50 other people that want to meet them or have you ever done that before? You don't meet people in the moment. <laughs> exactly. Speaking is one of the best hacks to building or to becoming that super connector in the room mm. and putting yourself in a position where people have to hear your message for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. Speaking is a great way to build your network. Yeah. Uh, it's also a way to, if it's a bigger event, you can meet all the other speakers and you have a huge rapport with those people. Mm-hmm. Like I've built my network and met mentors because of speaking engagements where I just met other speakers. And mm. Sometimes I'll waive my speaking fees if the other person or the other 10 people or 20 people or hundred people, if it's a gigantic event are amazing. Cause then you'll go into like the VIP speaker area and you yeah. have the rapport of being speakers versus like attendees. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then if I'm at an event, I, I actually try not to meet people when they're coming off stage or mm. you know, if they're a speaker, I'd rather focus on the other super connectors in the room. So the event organizer or the videographer or the team members of the people putting on the event mm. or just the the most connected person in that room who knows all the other speakers who's like friends or go talk to the speaker's girlfriend or boyfriend. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you've had this and I've had this when you come off stage, if you do a decent job, then you get bombarded with requests and whether that's five requests or 20 requests, it's, it's really hard to get a deep meaningful conversation in, in a minute or in 30 seconds and if you're if you're listening to Gary Vaynerchuk on stage and then you go up to him and try and take a selfie with him, you're also putting yourself putting him on a pedestal and you're putting yourself at a position where you're you've lost leverage and you're yep. you've gone in his mind to, oh, I want a selfie instead of like, oh, I can provide value to you up front and I'm a good person to speak to. So <laughs> there's like all these psychological <laughs> benefits to not rushing a speaker when they come off stage too. like go go meet the event organizer and then you can get access to any speaker provided you have something to provide them. Uh, in, in value up front. Absolutely. It all goes back to these things. I was, I was just at an event and I, you know, was at the speaker's table. Like yes, yesterday I was in DC. I was a panelist. I wasn't a keynote speaker. Um, but I took that in part because I can meet all the other panelists and speakers. Mm-hmm. And 
the keynote speaker was the senior advisor for the Bernie Sanders campaign. I didn't rush him when he got off stage. No one did, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no one did. It, no, it was it just it was a more polished crowd, so most of them yeah. knew him yeah. uh, or knew of him already. So it wasn't like, oh my god, can we have a selfie? <laughs> Intro me to Bernie. Uh, it was it was just more of a peer yeah. thing, but. I didn't rush him when he came off stage. Like if I want to meet him, I'll just go to the event organizer and be like, Hey, can you introduce me to Tad for this reason? And here's how I can help Tad. And here's how he'll, I'll make you look good in the process. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and depending on your relationship with that event organizer, you don't have to say all those things, but yeah, if you don't have a, a relationship, then maybe things will help. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's how I would navigate an event. And if you're an attendee, I would, Focus on building relationships five or 10 minutes at a time at minimum. Mm-hmm. And just if you can leave the room with five really good connections and you're good and then you know, find the super connectors in the room, whether they're a speaker who just hasn't spoken yet and maybe they're there a day or two early uh, and no one's talking to them, go talk to them because they're probably a cool person or the event organizers or the press in the room. Mm-hmm. Or if you know about some of the people in the room, like go seek out conversations with those super connectors yeah. and suddenly you'll get access to the whole room Yeah, if you needed it. That's great. That's great. And if you're, if you're say going up to a speaker or a super connector beforehand when they're just chilling, how do you, what, how do you approach them? I am Jared. <laughs> and then, and then just start talking. <laughs> <laughs> like just be a person, be a person. Yeah. <laughs> be a human. Uh, that, I mean, that goes back to the raw authentic part of me. I'm not trying to build relationships with people that don't want to talk to me either. Like I present myself, I'm going to ask a couple open-ended questions. So that's a nuance that we didn't Mm. talk about. Um, But just ask a lot of questions, preferably open, you know, open-ended. Be genuinely curious about what the other person's saying and then go back to what we were discussing earlier. You look for the jump off points to build connections and develop rapport, learn about them because you might learn something about yourself in the process yeah. or you might learn something about an industry and you can lead that conversation. Maybe you picked up new knowledge. Maybe you picked up a piece of contact information to get in touch with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe you picked up a new friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. All good stuff. Great advice. I love it. I want to expand a little it's bit not more. rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, but it kind of is in a certain sense, especially with creatives. And I think you know, I myself uh, have always like kind of struggled with that, with like connecting with people because my space is behind a camera and in my studio making art and different things. And, and so being more outgoing and more, you know, interactive has always been not as much of a forte. So I think this is super, super helpful for people like myself and and creatives that are listening. The secret is it also comes with practice. It's a skill. So Mm -hmm whole like introvert extrovert thing it exists i think i haven't looked at the science behind it but (laughs) i was actually a shy kid growing up and then at 15 when i started my first business realized that if you're going to be in business you got to meet people Mm -hmm. whether they're clients or business partners or mentors or whatever and slowly started to get more and more comfortable with meeting people uh and if you need to Increase that skill fast. A cool way to do it is just throw yourself in a super uncomfortable situation. And so I'll tell you about the story that involves Comic-Con and South Beach models or just hot girls on South Beach. If you want to go down that (laughs) road. Yeah, let's hear it. So when I was 16, I was in this like startup weekend like competition. You had to essentially build a business in a weekend. 
And this one was predicated on customer development or you know, figuring out if customers actually want to buy your stuff. That's what the contest or the, the weekend was predicated on, was learning mm-hmm. that skill. So I joined a startup team idea thingy that wanted to build an app to bring together models and photographers based on a shared location. <laughs> I didn't have any interest in this idea, or not that I didn't, but it was whatever. Like That seemed like a decent idea compared to all the other BS, you know, Uber for this, Uber for that ideas that I heard, Yeah. Uh, although Uber wasn't a thing at that time. But anyways, joined this team. And so on Saturday, we had to find out if photographers liked this idea and if they would use such an app. <laughs> so we had to go look for a group of photographers to interview. And the only place we could find it, it was in Miami because I, I grew up in South Florida, was this comic convention that was going on that weekend. And so I walk into this comic convention with my three teammates and we're the four people dressed normally, which means we're the four outcasts. So I'm out of my place for sure. Uncomfortable. But whatever, I go in, end up speaking to five or ten photographers and asking them a few questions, customer development style, and that was great. Put myself out of my zone a little bit. Good. Sunday came along. We had to go find models to speak to, (laughs) which means in South Beach, going to the beach (laughs) and speaking to any hot girl we found. Exactly. And so we paired off into into two teams of two. Our, Our team was four, and I was the only white person on the team. We had three, I think they were Filipino and they were all related too. So it was like a a guy and his girlfriend and then the cousin or the brother, Mm -hmm. I forgot Um, all great people, but I got stuck with the 30 year old guy who acted and looked 50. He was super shy. (laughs) And then I'm just like this lanky pale kid who comes in and I'm just, I had to stop every (laughs) or like very attractive women that I saw. I was like, Hey, do you model? And they're like, uh, sometimes why? And then, you know, I went into the whole spiel of, oh, we're building an app that brings together models and photographers based on shared locations. And so suddenly it's 16, you know, I'm in this like buttoned up shirt to the max, you know, super stiffy, (laughs) pale on South Beach. Everyone's almost naked, (laughs) very attractive women. And that experience got me out of my comfort zone a little bit. And then. You know, that gave me a lot of confidence moving yeah. forward. And over time, you know, now I've spoken to such a diverse group of people that I'm not really phased when I have to speak to anyone. Yeah. So it's, it's a skill. You can work on it. Great. That's great. That's a great story. Let's go to South Beach. <laughs> go to South Beach. Talk to models. Pitch, pitch an app. <laughs> pitch an app to models. On the beach. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I want to unpack what we talked about a little bit before. You talked about a little bit the uh, the gap. Kind of unpack that idea a little bit more. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. Hmm. So I didn't want to be known as the gap year guy, which is the reason I didn't write this book. Mm-hmm. It's also not the thing I wanted to focus on with most of my time professionally, yeah. but I'm starting to see, I did a couple of years ago, but I'm starting to see more and more people talk about this notion of a gap year and question the education system and question if everyone should be going to college. And if so, should they be doing it right away? So this idea of a gap year is actually pretty popular in Europe and in Israel other parts of the world, Australia, but not very popular in the U.S. and is still kind of taboo. But the notion of a gap year is to take a year off from higher education in order to do other things. Most people travel or they'll do a little bit of work or they will do some internships, which is work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So travel and work are namely the, the two categories most people should be doing. And I I thankfully was already conscious of what I wanted to do in life and where my strengths and weaknesses lie. But 
I, when I took my first gap year, I decided that I wanted to develop some sort of framework that could make my year better. And I was already conscious of the fact that I wanted to write a book about it. So mm-hmm. I was like, what can I do that's replicable for other people? So I started this gap year by interviewing a little over 50 of the smartest people that I knew in all different industries or all different like pillars of success that I wanted. So mm-hmm. my five pillars are like business, health, lifestyle design, relationship building, and community building. To me, that's like my five pillars of success. I could bullet down into what I want out of those five pillars. But I started interviewing people who were successful financially, who had really great success with their relationships, who built amazing communities, who had amazing health, and asked them like one question via email. I was like, yeah, what would you tell your 18-year-old self if you could tell them one thing or something along those lines? Yeah. And which is a pretty common question. Like Tim Ferriss asks his you know, podcast guests, like if you could tell your 20-year-old self or your 30-year-old self something, what would you tell them yeah. uh, in retrospect? So I took all of this data, you could call it, um, compiled it. I did publish it as an article, which was awesome and started building like the following for the book that I never came out with, but, mm-hmm. and, and a blog as well. But I used that more importantly to develop my curriculum for the year and uh. my, my curriculum for the year, rather than taking classes was I set out to do 25 experiments because I think a huge part of uh, a gap your experience for people. And this doesn't have to be just a year away from school. It could be a year away from your career or between college and career or a gap year from a relationship even yeah. or a gap year from a specific geographic location. I think the biggest thing you can do there is open yourself up to as many different things as possible and, and yeah. really introduce this idea of experimentation in there. Mm-hmm. And so these experiments ranged, some of them were completely absurd and I never did them like climb Mount Kilimanjaro or I make a hundred thousand dollars of passive income in a year. <laughs> Some like stuff like that, which is really hard to do when you're focusing on other projects. Yeah. But set out to do 25 things, even like planned a, a super date for a girl, which have you seen how I met your mother? Yeah. 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 That's such a great show. You know, like the super date concept. Um, I don't know if I remember that. I'm sure like Barney Stinson, man, yeah. he's like <laughs> I, I the bro code. <laughs> so he, he put, uh, he put in the TV show, the, the character Barney put five dates together into one. So he took like the romance, the planning <laughs> of five dates and put it into one. So that was like one of the things I actually did do successfully for some random girl. <laughs> but yeah, all these experiments and set out to start completing them while also, I was working on my own projects, so I already knew what I was doing work-wise, which most people don't. But I I had a curriculum, did experimentation, looked back on it, kind of recorded what I learned along the way because I was writing a book and because I was just genuinely curious. And that became my gap year. So I also traveled a lot. I did a lot of travel hacking. I backpacked Europe for two months and traveled for a bunch of conferences. I ended up with a project, so I had a degree to yeah. show for my gap year, which was a best-selling book and, and also like a marketing consulting firm, uh, which I was already building. And this gap year experiment book was going to advocate getting advice from people you want to emulate. Yeah. So not being force fed a vision for your life, but instead seeking out the people that you're curious about and learning from them. It was Here's like all these different tests and things you can do to increase your own consciousness about what you want to do. 
And if you don't necessarily know what you want to do or if you want to explore some more, like let's set up a bunch of experiments, make your classes and record that along the way, take some notes. Yeah. Uh, and then have something to show for it at the, at the end of the year, whether it's a larger bank account because you took an internship or some working experience or in my case, it was uh, a book and a company. And then you're in a much better position at least from a, a college standpoint to go back and be like, do I really want to go spend this money at this school? And you make a smarter decision. Yeah. And if it's your career, you can go back and have a much more mature viewpoint on what you want to do with your career. If it's a relationship, same thing. And that's what I talk about when like increasing consciousness, you know, suddenly instead of a 17 year old or an 18 year old making that $130,000 decision in five years of their time investment, they could be like, okay, if I'm going to do this, here's the outcome I need to have to make it worth it. And I'm probably not going to party as much. I'm probably not going to you know, waste time. I'm probably going to make the most out of it because I have that. I have all these experiences that taught me that that's the right thing to do. Mm. Or I'll take another gap here because things are going well and I want to keep exploring these things. It doesn't mean I'm going to never go back to school, but I just want to take gap year number two, which yeah. I, I ended up doing and then saying, you know, screw college. But <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and same with like careers, you know, people can come back and negotiate a higher salary because they have more working experience or more worldviews or they can start their own company or they can up their relationships personally and professionally. There's, there's all these benefits that can come to taking a gap year. And the, the real kicker is like, you don't even have to take a year off. Just make this like your little project along the way. Just increase your level of consciousness. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I should love should be a that. lifelong mission. Absolutely. We should, we should always be increasing consciousness over our yeah, lifetime and for sure. it's practice. It takes a long time. So just wrapping up here, I want to be conscious of your time and we're, we got to get going, but, uh, I wanted just a quick overview of your, your, the book you're working on 3 billion under 30. Right. And just a quick snip of your Ted talk. Cause we're going to link that up in the show notes. Sure. So 3 billion under 30 is book number two in the series. First book was 2 billion under 20 and featured stories from world-class millennials who were 20 and under at the time of sharing their story with us. Mm -hmm. We had 75 stories in the first book. We're going to do the same thing in the second book. So we have stories from exceptional 21 to 30 year olds ranging from major social media influencers to pro athletes, to Hollywood A-listers, to nonprofit founders, to people that you've never heard about, but probably should to people that are having insane impact on the world that you don't know about and they don't really care to be known about yeah. <laughs> or people that have just done interesting things. And I want to share it, um, be out in January. So working on it right now, building up marketing assets and, and things to start sharing more stories with people. So we have stories from the 3 billion under 30, which comes out July 19th as a web show. I actually interviewed you for it. Yeah. Out behind me <laughs> on your couch. <laughs> And that'll uh, be a web show stories from the 3 billion under 30 featuring stories from the 3 billion under 30 and the mentors that guide us like yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a web series running for at least six months from July until the book launch. And if it's going really well, it'll be an ongoing thing. I hope and I'm working towards, I have a, like a millennial to watch newsletter thing, which is like jaredkleinercom slash millennial to watch where I'm sharing a cool person a day from my network and singing their praises and also telling people why they should care and what they can learn Fantastic. from that. Uh, I might change the format of that soon. I don't know. It's, it's, it yeah. has a good reaction. I think I can tweak it. Yeah. We should always tweak everything we're working on, but really excited for the next book. I'm actually publishing it myself, but I'm doing it in a way that is 
what we would call professional self-publishing, which is a very nuanced thing that most people haven't done. But James Altucher did it mm. with Choose Yourself, and he had tremendous success. Like yeah. everyone trusts that book, despite it not having a publisher, and he's made a boatload of money from it, uh, which is always a good thing. Yeah, if you can, it, it. I'm doing it because it financially incentivizes me to share these incredible stories as far and wide as possible, mm-hmm. which is really important. Like I'm not financially incentivized to share two billion under twenty, right. not directly. Indirectly, I am not directly. Uh, and that almost shortchanges the amplification we can give to some of the incredible stories in the first book. Yeah. Uh, but working on 3 billion under 30, building a, another online community for our book contributors and some other people to join us. Cause mm-hmm. we have a, we have an online community for 2 billion under 20 invite only. We have 3 billion under 30. It will be another community and long-term, you know, I, I want to build companies to both support and work with those people that I'm identifying as top performers in order to solve major problems for mm. our generation yeah. and for society at large even. So that comes with like a marketing consulting firm called Kleiner Ventures that I've been running for two years. And we occasionally do product launches or business development work for some of the uh, community members and then mm. major companies and organizations that want to learn from top performing millennials and how yeah. we as a couple thousand people can influence tens of millions in our generation. Next year, it might be uh, a venture builder or like Mm -hmm. a fund that I can start companies with some of the top performers and more books in the future. I mean, this is kind of going to be a a life story for me, I I think. I mean, who knows? But I I think it's a cool niche to actually do a very Napoleon Hill-esque kind of thing, study, not only study, but befriend top performers of my generation because it's for personal gain. I also think there's a lot to be had from a societal impact by bringing everyone together. So three billion under 30 is main focus right now. And then just being of as much value as possible to all those people and all the mentors and people in my network along the way. Yeah. I love it. So one last question. I love to ask all my guests, what does live inspiration mean to you? What does live inspiration mean to me? I think it means it's just coming off the top of my head. Every conversation, lunch, dinner, event, party, every connection, every time I'm hanging out with other people who are inspired and who are really acting in their place of passion and doing exceptional things, that's when I feel most alive and most inspired. So Mm -hmm. if it's dinner with a DJ who's upending the music industry or someone like you and seeing all the art that you're producing or someone like Craig who has had tremendous success in his realm and learning from him, but also seeing his transformation and what he's inspired by just being genuinely curious in everyone's business and doings and learning from them and seeing what makes them passionate, you know, being able to be in their presence is really inspiring for me. And then also being able to connect some of those people who otherwise wouldn't have thought to speak or wouldn't have known each other. Yeah. That's a place of, of inspiration for me as well. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. So where can people find you, follow you, get involved on the interwebs? Sure. So it's Jared, like the gallery of jewelry and not like the subway guy. (laughs) (laughs) J-A-R-E-D Kleinert, K-L-E-I-N-E-R-T. That's everything. Uh, That's like Jared Kleinert at gmail.com is my personal email. And then like .com is my website. Get it. 3 billion under 30 would be, where I'd look for the new stuff. Probably by the time you put this out, 
people will probably be able to pre-order the book oh. and or get the web show at least. So the number three, the word billion, the word under the number 30 dot uh, com or just Google it or YouTube it. Is yep. YouTube it a thing? Like, is that a verb? Yes, it, it could be. It, it's like once your once your business has become verbed, then you've like hit you've mainstream. Made it. <laughs> yeah, you've hit mainstream culture. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Jared Kleiner and three billion under thirty. And that's or, across the social or two platforms. billion under twenty. Yeah, and and really, I would love to hear from people. So like Jared Kleiner at gmail .com, Like, tell me if this was valuable at all. Did we provide value up front to you? <laughs> Absolutely. And did you apply it at all? And if so, why or why not? <laughs> Fantastic. I'd be curious. <laughs> we'll have all this linked up in the show notes, so you can check that out. And thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Jared Kleinert. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And don't forget, we are changing the name of Shop Talk Radio to Neon Radio. If you enjoyed today's episode, you got some value out of it, you were inspired, I'd love it if you could help me out by leaving a good review over on iTunes or sharing the episode on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever your favorite social media platform is. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out, create your life by creating every moment, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>